Hello, my name is Samuel George London and welcome to Comics for the Apocalypse. On today's episode, I speak to comic book fan, writer and absolutely lovely lad, Gary Hill, about what comics he would take into a nuclear fallout apocalypse. But before we get into it, I'd like to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, The Comic Scene Comic Club. Available from just £5 a month, you can get monthly issues of the History of Comics 1930-2030, to monthly issues of the brand new Shift Comic Anthology, and two Comic Scene specials per year. To find out more and subscribe to The Comic Club, visit comicscene.org. Um, also, this is the last episode of the year. Um, I'm going to be actually taking a four-week break in the end. Um, wish it didn't have to be so long, but I tell you what, I'm absolutely knackered after this year, um, and I need a wee bit of a um, of a break uh, just to kind of re regroup um, in my head. But we will be back in the second week of January um, so be sure to look out for that and um, over the festive period make sure that you just take care of yourself um, both mentally and physically um, and just make sure that you get get lots of reading time as well now without further ado on with the show hello Gary Hill how's it going oh yes I'm going well thank you awesome well thank you so much for for coming on the pod today um, and uh, for for anybody that that hasn't come across you just yet, uh, what do you do in the world of comics? Well, predominantly started out as a as a fan, a returning fan to comics. Um, for years, you know, as a child, loved comics. That was a big part of my life. And then the story for so many people of the seventies got to like you know about eighteen years old and drink and um women <laughs> factored more on the scene <laughs> than comics and sort of <laughs> fell away from it but some in the last few years come back to it a little and um got involved it's basically through my love of 2000 ad and got involved with the 1977 to 2000 ad facebook group and uh, it just spiraled from there you know sort of um get into cons and that kind of thing. And uh, now I'm actually in the lucky position that I've um, been starting doing a little bit of writing and I've written a strip called um, Project Revenant that's going to feature in an issue of um, The 77, the new anthology comic that's uh, really hit the scene this year. And that will be published next year. So it's very exciting. That's fantastic, man. Um, and uh, what what's the? Are you able to give us a premise? Yeah, yeah, I'll give you a little bit of an idea. I don't want to give too much away too no, soon, exactly. but um, it's it's old school action. Um, so you've got a guy who's SAS, best of the best, who gets killed in action. Um, he ends up with the heart of a demon, spliced with the soul of a demon as well, and nice. that's going to give him certain powers. There's an interdimensional enemy to face. Um, it's like I say, it's old school action. If you like 2000 AD in the past, it's got a little nod to sort of Mac One, that kind of thing there, but try to give it a, a bit of a modern twist. And I've seen some prelims of the art, and it's done by a chap called um, Luke Orham. And my God, it's looking amazing. I just can't believe that my words are now 
you know, being mm-hmm. turned into a strip and it's looking Isn't good. that so satisfying? Oh, absolutely. You know, I mean, he's been so good at taking my ideas and he's just put another spin on them and brought it to life. And he's an incredible artist. I'm very lucky to have him on the strip. That's fantastic, man. Uh, do you know when it's kickstarting? Um, hopefully, it's. we're thinking it's going to be about issue six. We've just had the issue four Kickstarter um, going yeah. on at the moment, so and it's bi-monthly. So, yeah, about another yeah. four months. It should be out there on the stands. But we're Easter time-ish. Yeah, that's it. Um, I mean, what would you yeah. want? You know, you, stories of demons at Easter. It's perfect, isn't it? You know. Exactly. <laughs> what a combo. <laughs> it is. But, yeah, I mean, get on board with the 77 now. It is a brilliant anthology. There's some excellent writers and artists involved in it from you know names that people know to new guys like myself it's it's just a brilliant piece of work oh that's fantastic man Uh, and where can people find you online um well i'm one of the um moderators on the say the 1977 to 2000 ad group and you know try and do a bit of um, work on there currently we've got a, a really good sort of um fan prize giveaway going on we've got lots of the 12 days of christmas so um, i'm organizing mm. that and um apart from that i do um an occasional blog um called gaza reads comics and that's on blogspot and the idea there is as I come back to comics and I met up with a lot of the 2000 AD guys, you do find that some of them can be really, you know, heavy duty fans and they don't look at anything else in the world of comics. And I thought that was such a shame because I've, I've got so much from, you know, delving into the world of indie and that kind of thing. So I try and do some recommendations and reviews of things that I've enjoyed and hopefully other old died in the wall 2000 AD fans would enjoy too. That's awesome, man. Um, and that, that link is in the uh, show notes, folks. So uh, you can click through right there um, and, uh, and, and check out Gary's blog there. Lovely. Thank you. Excellent. Um, so um, all of that aside, um, I do have some unfortunate news. Okay. Um, and that is on top of the year that we've had. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, we've, we've ended up uh, in a nu- nuclear fallout. Right. As well, as well, yeah. Just, to, just, to, just to put a cherry on the top. Yeah, happy Christmas. Um, <laughs> exactly. And um, yeah, my first question for you is: What's your action plan for survival? Okay, so being a child of the seventies um, and eighties, the, the you know the sort of the Cold War and nuclear threat just seemed to always be there. You know, it permeated everything at the time. When you got sort of Thatcher, Brezhnev, Reagan, there was this you know, mm. um, triumvirate of evil, really. Um, so, yeah, I remember as a kid, we had, we had Protect and Survive, a little sort of handbook on how to survive a nuclear war pushed through the door as well, which yeah, brought things yeah. really home. You know, when you've got this sort of teenage fervent brain thinking, oh, my God, you know, I'm going to die. And yeah. um, then we had programs like... Um, threads i don't know if you've heard of that it was sort of all about britain after a nuclear war but it wasn't done with any glamour you know it was real warts and all kind of um the realities of nuclear war you know body parts dropping off and things like that um then you got good old raymond briggs obviously this time of year more known for the snowman and um he produced a book called um, when the wind blows and um that was a story of nuclear war and a little old couple 
trying to survive it. So yeah, yeah it's 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 been something I've sort of grown up with, and I, I remember actually, you know, having sort of nightmares about it. And so, you know, thanks for bringing that up again for me. <laughs> Sorry, mate. Yeah, I didn't realise I was actually stirring up old uh, <laughs> the old, old emotions. But I think you know, with the good old protect and survive in mind, I'd hopefully be at home and with the family and sort of you yeah. know, the way you're going to survive, of course, is to get the doors off as protect yeah. and survive tell us and make a little shelter, and you know, that's going to help you survive a multi-megaton nuclear weapon, of course. <laughs> but <laughs> sod's law, like most. I'd probably be at work. Um, I have the the pleasure of working in the NHS at um, Royal Papworth Hospital, so um, right. we we've got you know all the medical supplies there that you could imagine, and we've also got a nice deep basement. So I think I'd try and you know if you got the three minute warning, get down in the um, the basement there. Plenty of food and water and medical supplies, and then uh, if I'm lucky enough to survive, venture out. And perhaps in the hope that comics haven't sort of, you know, totally lied to us and end up with some kind of radiation that gives me a superpower or at least a useful mutation. <laughs> yeah, that'd be nice. Yeah, yeah, be handy. <laughs> Fantastic. So you end up at the uh, at the basement of, of the hospital that you work at and uh, you, you're down there with a lot of your colleagues um and uh you get you get chatting about your pastimes and comics comes up of course yeah. and they want to find out more and uh the first question that they ask you is what's the first comic you remember enjoying well i suppose like so many people um the beano always jumped out at me as being the first thing i can actually remember having hold of as a kid and um soon after warlord um, you know, you got the two ends of the scale there. You got the sort of the comedy and the fun of the Beano with, um, you know, the the action of um, Warlord, and because there was quite a prevalence, you know, during that time of war comics and war films. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was always there. And say so comics were always a part of my childhood, really. So for as long as I can remember, there was always books or comics around the house, which was, um, you know, really nice. Um, I think Beano really was just the sheer fun of it. Um, you know, Dennis and Nasha was always a, a favourite. I think some of it was perhaps in part because I was never allowed a dog, and so oh. um, yeah, you could almost imagine Nasha as the dog that he'd like to have. You know, as a most loyal dog, and he'd look, he always looked after Dennis. So there was perhaps <laughs> a bit of that there. And of course, being a school kid at the time, um, Bash Street kids. Yeah, getting up to no good yeah. and um, but always getting the comeuppance in the end, which was always quite violent in those days, if I remember. It was um, yeah. <laughs> either the, the slipper or the cane. Um, I don't think that had sort of floats so much these days. <laughs> yeah, probably not. <laughs> I've not. I've not really. I've not really read it recently, but uh, I'm sure they don't. You know, have corporal punishment so much <laughs> in the pages of it now. Um, again, with Warlord, uh, I imagine that you know that's pre- that sort of thing wouldn't float either now because um, yeah, it was mm. quite it it was um, quite racist in its way the way it treated some of the nations that weren't British, right. um, yeah, I see. you know. So, uh, but again. It was a different time then. You, you can't product of its time. Yeah, it was. Yeah, very much of its time. But it was for for a kid like me that loved every war film that was on on a Saturday lunchtime, or um, yeah, the sort of the war stories and the, the Commando comics, that kind of thing. 
It was brilliant. So I remember joining the fan club of both of them as well. The um, the Beano fan club, and I always remember the password was if you met another Beano fan, was ding, and they had to say dong back at you. You know, amazing. <laughs> a really high level password there. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. uncrackable. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And then in the Warlord Club, you got the obligatory badge and um, a letter from Lord Peter Flint, the um, the super spy who was uh, the main star of the comic, if you like. But, you know, I just held on to those things for years. And like most things from that era, they um, they went the way of everything and ended up binned, I think, which is a great shame now. Yeah, certainly. Um, mm. it is, it's a real shame um, when that's happened. But, you know, I mean, something like The Phoenix, for, for instance, is... Mm-hmm. Is obviously trying to take kind of that mantle back. Yeah, getting kids into comics, and you know, um, I suggested to my to my sister to to get her kids into it, and yeah, they're avid readers of it now. Oh right, they, they've had a subscription for like eighteen months or so now. Yeah, and yeah, they just they absolutely love it. So um, yeah, yeah. Well, I uh, think you know things are rising again. <laughs> yeah, it's really good to see because you know, I mean, for me, it was such an important part of my life. I think we moved house quite a lot, and comics were a continuity to my life. You know, it was the one constant yeah. that you knew every sort of other day there was going to be a comic coming through the letterbox, where you hoped to God that a com- your comic was coming through the letterbox with you know your name scrawled on the top, mm. and um, so it just it just gave you that constant that that was going to be there. And I think as well looking back you know it made a real difference to my literacy as well yeah because obviously you work in so many parts of your brain you know understanding the pictures matching them up with the words the reading and you know i'll look back now at some of the things that i was reading in sort of you know the 70s such as from 2000 ad and um you know strontium dog judge dread and they weren't talking down to children at all and uh yeah i think it really had a positive effect and who's to say that the sort of the kind of demise of comics hasn't had an effect on childhood literacy a little bit now yeah so hopefully things like the Phoenix will turn that around a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Quite right. Um, and uh, yeah, hope it kind of their success continues and yeah. others of the same ilk. Um, and as you say, hopefully they'll have a benefit on uh, on child literacy. For sure. Um, yeah. So yeah. yeah. Fingers crossed, mate. That's, uh, that's great. Um, now, um, returning to the basement uh-huh. <laughs> uh, the, the next question that crops up from your colleagues is what's the funniest comic that you've read um so funniest comic i mean the one problem is with me it, it takes a lot to make me laugh out loud when i'm reading whether it be books mm. or, or you know prose but i think probably it's because i'm absolutely rubbish at telling jokes myself so <laughs> i probably my own sort of mental voice has probably got the timing off anyway but you know it's still it's still can raise a smile and feel good about it i mean i suppose again you know going back to childhood being old dandy whoopee that sort of thing you know there's always something to raise a smile there but i think um on my 
you know, my return to comics over the last few years, um, yeah, obviously tastes change. There's been you know, reading Garth Ennis's work on sort of um, Punisher Max and the boys. Obviously, it's a lot more adult. It's darker, but the, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes so that escapism of a, a bit of violence and a bit of filth and dark humour, yeah, that can um, raise an unexpected laugh on a page turn. You know, sometimes, which is always nice. Um, yeah. Sex Criminals, uh, I don't know if you've read that one by Chip Zdarsky and Matt Fraction. That was um, another one. You know, it's it's a bit too filthy to talk about on um, this, but let's say when that when they reach a certain point of passion, um, time can stop, and yes. um, this couple can <laughs> commit crime when the, when they found each other. You know, so uh, yeah, that that was a good one as well. That raised a few laughs. Um, but I think, to be honest, that the, the thing that's most recently made me laugh is a guy who's been on your podcast and John Tucker and his work (laughs) you know I mean I remember um listening to the the boys on the awesome comics podcast and um it was one of the first ones I'd listened to and they were interviewing John Tucker Mm -hmm. and he was so entertaining and funny at the time I thought you know I've got to check out his stuff and I think you know Often described, you know, with the word quirky, and um, <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's probably the the best way of putting it. But I just love, you know, it's kind of almost kitchen sink drama, but and but with this sort of twist of, you know, quirky humour, and um, yeah, I mean, and every book is that little bit different that he does as well. You yes. know, he, yeah, it's yeah. It, whether it be the, the the writing style, the art style, just the presentation of the book. Um, most recently, I got his, he had a limited edition run of a little book called Murder, and uh, it's just a you know a small sized book going back to the, his days of reading zines, I believe, as a, as a student, mm. and two little stories in there, and they were just brilliant. And as somebody who's you know desperately trying to learn how to write and to get better, I just look at what he does, and you know it amazes me how he comes up with these such original ideas and twists and turns on it every time and every time it makes me laugh it's got that kind of um Vic Reeves and uh Bob Mortimer kind of uh you know funny strange but yeah it's great great stuff John Tucker's absolutely and an original yeah. and unique are definitely the words that come to mind oh, when absolutely. thinking about John Tucker um, <laughs> yeah. yeah what what a talent that man is and oh, absolutely you know it's it's a wonder he's not kind of being picked up by a big publisher. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, not even like a big two or anything, but just a um, just a, a large indie publisher. Yeah, yeah for and sure. Getting his stuff out there because oh, I just God. think it's 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 brilliant. It's it's a wonder that he hasn't. Oh, absolutely. And you could just imagine a lot of it as well being turned into really good animation. As, you know, mm-hmm. um, with the, with his own sort of work there, that would, it would be yeah. brilliant to see. But um, yeah, more power to him, that's for sure. Yeah, fingers crossed. Um, he's he's going to get more eyes on his uh, on his work, and yeah, I'm sure I'm sure he works on submissions and things. Yeah, yeah. Fing, so. Fingers crossed, it'll 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 uh, skyrocket <laughs> in, in, into uh, mainstream publishing. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. For sure, he deserved it. It's great. 
Definitely fantastic. Uh, now, um, moving on to the next question and, and shifting emotional gears. Yeah. Uh, the next question <laughs> that crops up is what's the saddest comic that you've read? Okay, so I think um, the saddest for me, because it, it, it sort of hits so many points, has been um, The Walking Dead. Um, so sad and upsetting, it definitely hits that. Yes. I mean, for, for me, um, I started reading it. I got it on one of the Humble Bundle digital deals. And, right. you know, it was the whole set for a donation to charity. And, mm. you know, it was a ridiculous saving. I thought it's got to be had, you know. And um, this turned out to be just at the start of lockdown. And so there's obviously heightened emotions going on then as well. Um, I had to sadly sort of um, leave uh, work for a while because I I got an underlying illness that meant I I couldn't be uh, put at risk with COVID. So so that's going on. So there's all the guilt and the feelings ramped up there that you're leaving your friends behind. Um, Then... Just to, to top it all, it's a, a wonderful thing, but um, we had a baby born at the very start of lockdown as well. Brilliant. So, you know, tied in with all the emotions going on there. What a roller coaster. <laughs> it, oh, Gosh. yeah. It was the biggest roller coaster. And then, so we're in the middle of our own sort of mini apocalypse. And um, what mm. do I decide? It might be a good time to start reading. But The Walking Dead. <laughs> and I used to literally I'd just sit there every day. And it was at least an issue a day. And obviously, you know, more wherever I could. And I think don't like that in particular, um, back to back. It truly was an emotional journey because it's just so well written. And, um, you know, Charlie Adlard's black and white art. It was just, you know, brilliant. And so, um, you know, going on this journey where, you know, Rick wakes up in the hospital and then everything just cascades on from there. Um, And being a fan of the TV series, you know, I've stuck with it through thick and thin, even Mm. on the sort of (laughs) the dodgy series where they've dipped a little bit, you know, I've I've been there, I've stuck with it. And um, I mean, I don't think it's that bad, to be honest. I've enjoyed every every bit of it. Um, you know, and sort of you kind of have that um emotional bond with the characters, I think heightened a little bit because you sort of know them as people almost mm-hmm. um yeah, but there's you know there's some truly horrific moments in it i mean what what stood out particularly to me was um when they've got to the point where they're at the um the jail and the governor's involved, you know, and mm-hmm. the, the the governor captures them. And treatment of Michonne by the governor, you know, it was it was (laughs) atrocious to say the least. But then, you know, equally, and you know, good honour for doing it. Her revenge on him was stomach turning, really. You know, (laughs) so um, yeah, that that was quite a hard hitter at the time. But then, you know, coming right the way through it, you know, amping up the um, the emotions a little bit. And I mean, spoilers for anybody who's by any chance not read it. Um, there is a, a senseless, what seemed to me, the senseless death of um, Rick um, after everything he'd been through, you know, and achieved. And then he's killed by basically a spoiled rich boy um, from a, <laughs> from another settlement, and I was it's certainly a curveball. Oh my god! You know, 
I mean, I'm a grown man, and I, I think with a bit heightened emotions, I was, I was, you know, I was filling up. It, <laughs> it was, it was, it just felt such a waste, and I was like, why, why, Rick? You know, um, yeah. yeah. So for a, for an emotional journey, and I think the most sort of upsetting and saddest one, reading it like that with all that was going on. Definitely for me, The Walking Dead. Uh, I'd say to anybody to read it like that if you get the opportunity back to back. Yeah, and it's amazing that you've got not almost two hundred issues. Yes, yeah. That you can that you can actually go through in one go. Yeah. Um. You know, because uh, I got into it. When was it? It was probably about two thousand sixteen, maybe the yeah. comic that is. Yeah. Um. As a result of having watched the TV show. Right, um, yeah. and I came in. I think at about one hundred and twenty, mm-hmm. maybe something like that. Yeah, um, and uh, yeah. So obviously, I was I was following it on a on a uh, on a monthly basis. Yeah, um, and uh, yeah, it was yeah a roller coaster. Like having to wait for it, but obviously now that you've got the whole collection, yeah, that's it. At once, you can just power through the whole thing. Yeah, um, and uh, yeah. It's, it's amazing, it's right? It is. When you you know, I look at some of again the the writing uh, that was done. It was just absolutely brilliant, and there's some massive speeches. You know, he'd give his characters, mm. and um, yeah, Kirkland is just amazing. I really do think he is, and to have one iota of his talent would be, you know, beautiful. <laughs> Wouldn't it, Charlie? You know, Charlie Adlard's black and white work that that is just. Um, perfect absolutely perfect tone i mean i'm a lover of black and white anyway but it really struck the right tone and i don't know if you've seen it the recent um colorized version they they bought out yeah and i i just couldn't take to it i bought issue one just for curiosity's sake and it it somehow just seemed wrong you know there wasn't there wasn't color in that world yeah yeah it, yeah. it, it didn't need it, but you know, if it, if it makes a bit of money, and I think it was done with the intention of getting people back into comic book shops, so I'm all yes. for that. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Because yeah. Robert Kirkman is is one heck of an inspiration for for the comic industry. Yeah, I think because he, despite his success, yeah, um, he seems still very down to earth. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he still wants to do comics because yeah. he could obviously just go into TV and film and oh, things like yeah. that and, yeah. and try and focus on the big bucks and even gaming as well. Yeah. Um, not that they haven't done enough Walking Dead. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, he's still in comics and he's doing things uh, that are trying to help lift the comic industry up. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So, I mean, all credit to him. Oh yeah, yeah. I've recently been reading um, his Oblivion song as well. Again, like you say, yeah. he's, he's still right, and that, that's that's a great one. You could imagine if there was a budget there, that could make a good series as well. But um, yeah, whether they'll do that, I don't know. But yeah, like you say, it's great what he's done, and you know, he put out a special um, sort of one about the follow up on Negan as well again to no, get people free, into the comic shop. Um, I don't think it was a free. No, 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 no. I think I know. Didn't he? I thought that he he ended up giving it free to the comic shops to sell. Gotcha. Oh, okay. I didn't really I think like it that. was. Oh, um, nice. Yeah, it was yeah. something along those lines. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah, oh it was my God, that's even right? better. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, so that that was really good. So as soon as that was out, I was um, down to my local comic shop, and um, I'll give them a shout. Niche Comics in Huntingdon, really good little independent comic shop. If you live that way in near Cambridge, <laughs> but nice. um, yeah, uh, yeah, great work from Kurtman. It really was. Can't be faulted. Fantastic. Uh, now, uh, changing gears once again, uh, the next question that comes up in in our nuclear basement is uh, what's the scariest comic that you've read? So scariest, I mean, I do love horror, that's for sure, you know, and it, it takes, you know, you get a bit inured to it. And um, I think horror is such a hard medium for people to to write in for for comics particularly because you, you you know you've got that page turn perhaps but you can't build emotion and feeling um like you can with music and lighting in a you know in a film but yeah i think yeah i've got a few that are really sort of considered for this one so um there's one particular called slaughterhouse farm um it's by the guys uh tellbound media and mm-hmm. um it's it's very much the sort of covers of them look like under the cheap 80s video nasties um <laughs> the vhs tapes and yeah so you've got a sort of a bunch of wayward sort of teens took out into the um i think north welsh countryside on a sort of a camping trip and they end up at a, a farm that's you know, you would not want to meet this farm um, at all, or the farmer, I should say. Um, again, this isn't the sort of podcast to be saying his name, but it, it intimates his um, intimate with pigs. Um, and, yeah, he, he sort of basically, you know, goes slash a movie on them. And there's one particular image in the most recent one I read that any man reading it would cross their legs as somebody's going over barbed wire. And I'll leave that to your imagination. Exactly. <laughs> so talking about scary and horrifying, that's definitely up there. Um, equally, another another indie, um, Cannibal XXX uh, by a guy called um, Paul PJ Johnson. Johnson, sorry. And oh my god, that is absolutely shocking stuff. Um, it, it's sort of horror porn, basically. And yeah. um, um, it, it is set in a, 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 you know, the porn industry and they end up going to a cannibal mm. island. And yeah, it's, again, another, another one that's quite strong stuff going on there. And then, yeah, working through one that I came to again late in the day because of my abstinence from comics was um, the Arkham Asylum book. And oh my god, you know, reading that, and I think, obviously, more than anything, it's it's Dave McKean's artwork. Um, it's just so scary and dark. Uh, yeah, it, it's just brilliant images. You know, the the man's amazing the way he puts stuff together. Um, again, in that sort of same ballpark, there's witches. I, t- I told you I like horror. I'm going on about these horror comics. But... <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> Um, which is the Scott Snyder book um, with art by Jock. Yeah. And that whole thing is just really unsettling. It's, again, it's the artwork. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it just reading yeah. it. And then it's that. T- again, I, I don't want to give spoilers because, you know, that's one perhaps people haven't read. Um, when you've got a whole ter- town turning against a family and the sort of realizing that nowhere's safe, that, that was brilliant. You know, it, it really was. But, to be honest with you, the, the one that has really sort of um, affected me the most, I think, was um, it was an issue of um, Sandman. Um, it was issue six, and there was a story called 24 Hours. 
Um, I don't know if you you know you, you like your Sandman at all, um, but you know we got the the hero sort of Morpheus, the Sandman. Um, he's lost all of his kind of magical tools, and um, he's got this ruby which allows the holder to control the minds of people. And it's fell into the hands of um, this insane guy, uh, Doctor Destiny, who I believe—I mean, only from a little bit of research—is a you know a small-time character from other DC work in the past. But you know, Neil Gaiman brought him to the fore in this one, and he basically he's in a, a twenty-four-hour diner and just sort of sat up the corner with this ruby, and um, it lets you know a good few people start to come in. And then he he starts, you know, using the influence of the ruby on them. And, you know, he, he does every, they make him sort of, you know, be worshipped by the, by the other people. They confess their darkest secrets, you know, even necrophilia's in there. Uh, and then they kind of brutally end up torturing and killing each other, you know. And it, it's, yeah, it's it's a really dark read within that run of Sandman. And, um, yeah, it was really shocking. I think it's the one that stayed with me the most because, yeah, I'd I'd read the ones leading up to it and there was no intimation at all that this was going (laughs) to, this was going to come out. (laughs) And then, you know, the next thing you're seeing people taking their own eyes out and, and yeah, it's, it's pretty hard hitting, but yeah, brilliantly done, brilliantly written and, um, you know, great artwork again. Cause it, you know, it's, it's ingrained on my brain now. (laughs) Well, yeah. <laughs> Once you see it, you can't you can't unsee it. Exactly. So and that sort of thing. If anybody wanted a bit of light reading in the apocalypse, um, yeah, get a get a copy of that. <laughs> yeah. So Sandman for me um, is one I haven't got into yet. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously it's it's come up on the on the pod quite a few times. Yeah. Yeah. That, um, I should take the hint. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's it's on my to read list. Oh yeah, um, and of course it's it's kind of it's a it's a classic and a bit of a cornerstone of what comics are today, of course, because it's inspired many, many, many creators. Yes, um, yeah. As a result, so um, yeah, it's one of those legacy comics that I absolutely need to read at some yeah. point, along with so many other things. But uh, oh yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm the same. It, 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 I'll get around to it eventually. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was very lucky. I got you know, I got a friend who'd got the the first four collected volumes, and he just sort of says, "Oh, you know, you're into your comics. I'll have a read of this." And yeah. um, again, like you say, it's a, it is a touchstone now. And yeah, you, know, you hear the name Sandman, so I'm like, well, yeah, I need to read this. And yeah, I, I do need to to get on to the rest, but. It's time, money, <laughs> everything yeah. else, you know. Uh, yeah, definitely worth a read. Fantastic. Uh, now, uh, moving on to my favourite question, yeah. and that is what's your favourite cover? Yeah, so a little bit lighter, I'm happy to say. Yeah. <laughs> so this this really um, harks back again to my childhood. So going back to the Mr. Time to 1981, and um, I was, you know, 11 year old Gary, loving his comics, particularly, you know, science fiction. We'd already had, you know, the big hit of Star Wars by then. And, you know, that whole universe was opening up in front of us. And for me, obviously, 2000 AD was a, a, now a massive part of my um, childhood there. And, you know, the, one of the big stars at the time was Judge Dredd. And at that 
you know, 1981, we had the first, um, well, it was sort of Christmas 1980, you know, going into 81. And we got the um, Judge Dread Annual, and it was the first Judge Dread Annual. And uh, I've got it in front of me now, and I'll keep it on my bookcase, cover out, just to sort of keep it on mm. show, you know. And so you've got uh, basically an iconic Brian Bolland image of Dread. Yeah, that his clean lines, it's just gorgeous to look at. And you've basically at the top it's got you know 2000 AD's top sci-fi hero bursts into action exclamation mark. And he's you literally got a map of the Mega City One in the background, and he's on the lawmaster blasting through this map. He's got these um, lawgiver gun in his right hand, you know, firing out into the bottom corner of the annual. Um, you've got the bike cannons are blasting. You, you know, it's just a great piece of art. And I say, for me, that's the one that as soon as I thought about this question, that was it straight away. You know, um, it was the old Judge Dread 1981. It's perfect. That's amazing. That's so good that something just jumped out at you yeah. instantly Absolutely. and like floods you with these memories. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think maybe that's maybe that's what really makes a favorite cover mm-hmm. is the memories that it's associated with yeah definitely I, I think that's what it is and you know it just it does remind me of that time as a you know innocent kid you got no worries in the world all you had to worry about was like where are you going to get the next comic where are you going to get the next annual for christmas and i always remember you know my, uh, my parents used to bring this sort of sack into my bedroom when when I was asleep and um, it was always the annuals in there so basically the idea was I kept quiet didn't wake them up at two in the morning <laughs> and so I read all the annuals and ate the satsumas it was an innocent time <laughs> you know so it's, uh, yeah so really good memories with that one and obviously the iconic um, Brian Bolland dread you know you, you can't beat and you know the annual itself afterwards is just you know perfect for a judge dread fan you know you, you got like all the big names like Mike Mahan sort of drawing in there as well and you got the other story of dread how he came about and uh, yeah it's just absolutely perfect really so good memories good cover for sure that's awesome, man. <clears throat> so good to to be able to kind of rely rely on that to to cheer you up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, brilliant. Uh, now moving on to one of my other favourite questions, and that is, what's the most meaningful comic to you? Okay, so this is one again. This didn't take a lot of thinking, to be honest. Um, so, like I say, I had this gap from um, comic reading. Yeah, much to my shame, it was um, a good thirty years, really. Uh, so, like about nineteen eighty-eight, I decided, well, oh, that's it. You know, that, that I'm too old now for comics, and sort of uh, put that to one side. But then, yeah, you get you get a little bit sort of reminiscent of the good old days as you get older. And um, I was talking to my wife and um, we're talking about sort of comics and things like that. And she was never really into them as, as a kid, you know. Um, but I was talking about 2000 AD and um, she's very good at sort of putting these sorts of little things away in the memory bank. And <laughs> uh, then six months later, uh, for Christmas... She had bought me the 1977 Christmas edition of 2000 AD. Um, so it's like issue, well, prog 46. And wow. um, 
yeah, it, it's 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 that sort of old done on the old sort of um, newsprint, the old bog roll sort of paper <laughs> that they used up for two thousand AD at the time, um, and you know it's got it's even got that sort of smell that I remember and mm-hmm. it just it brought it all back um and so the reason that you know it this innocuous sort of com- I mean it's a good comic in itself you know it's that first Christmas 2000 AD and the excitement that goes with that you got a Kevin O'Neill um, picture of Judge Dredd again smashing through a window this time um uh, <laughs> about to shoot a feather that looks like Santa but yeah wasn't Santa um <laughs> You know, and you've got the classic strips inside, like mm. Invasion. Um, you've got Dave Gibbons on the art of um, Dan Dare in there. Um, Ramon Sola on Mac One. I mean, I'm just flicking through it now. And the one thing I really loved, you know, again, Star Wars, you know, was just on the horizon and just with us. And they got this article on the um, the middle two pages and there's these black and white pictures of the you know, the characters you'd expect, like there's Chewbacca, and um, there's the Sand People, the Jawas, and it's quite funny, really, how they yeah they they write out in words R two D two, you know this these robots that you're right. going to meet, yeah. So yeah, for again for sort of you know seven year old me, th- this was amazing stuff, and so again to get it, you know, all these years on. It was um, really nice, and and then that, you know, started the sort of the, you know the, the the fire sort of burning just a little bit, and yeah, you, know, you start thinking, yeah, well, what's going on in the prog now? So, sort of um, went and you know grabbed one from the news agents, and it turned out it was the sort of one of the jumping on progs that they do. So they try and have you know the start of a good few stories to try and. Right. attract people in that kind of thing so yeah and then ended up getting the subscription again um by this time though I'd, I'd moved on from the sort of you know the, the sort of the paper version and um sacrilege i'd gone for the digital <laughs> <laughs> which is a bit cheaper and yeah. less space you know um exactly. so yeah so i got into that but then the, so that that's why this is so special because from that just that little innocuous thing of buying me that then I got into the prog started you know looking on facebook found the 1977 to 2000 ad group you know got, got a little bit sort of involved with that and then they very kindly asked me to um sort of be a moderator on there and you know help the team out there because they're you know working hard at the time sort of developing the 77 because those guys are behind the 77 mm-hmm. and um then of course you know you start looking then at oh what's all these comic cons that people go to and um <laughs> i just had this vision of you know teenagers dressed up as manga characters and you know people yeah. sort of said to me no no there is proper ones out there if you like <laughs> where you can just go and enjoy comics and um, yeah started going to them i think i started with the um ice in birmingham cool. and uh, one of shane chebsey's um cons and you know that just being able to go up to these people like john wagner you know and and talk to him it was one of those ridiculous moments that you think i'm a grown man and inside you're sort of shaking a little bit you know yeah, yeah, but, yeah proper starstruck yeah absolutely and you know got him to sign some stuff and had a sort of little chat with him and then um you know that really sort of 
you know, blew my mind at the time that you could go to these cons and do that and you didn't have to dress up like a, a manga figure or something. And so I started to go into a few more of them. I even, you know, took the wife along and admittedly she perhaps didn't get as much from it as me, but, you know, God bless her. She's come with me and, you know, she's always been there for me with this. And, um, then sort of spinning off from that, I set up something called um, the Eastern Contingent of 2000 AD fans. So pre-COVID, um, we would get together in a, a pub in Cambridge City Centre where I live now and, um, you know, get a few of us together and, uh, you know, reminisce about the sort of the comic itself. But then that always spins off into general comic, comic talk, you know, mm. and um yeah, so good times from one sort of gift being given. This has all spun off. And now, of course, I get to sort of live the dream and actually write something for the 77. And it's going to be printed and amazing art by Luke, you know. So <laughs> dreams can come true, kids. I <laughs> <laughs> totally believe it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, that's so fantastic, Gary, to, to, to hear all of that and just your, your enthusiasm. Yeah. Um, kind of just really comes through oh, good. and and it's almost inspiring to hear Gary so <laughs> I appreciate that mate like good, thank you that's great man excellent <laughs> um now um moving on uh to our to our next question uh what's the most underrated comic um, okay, so I think for that, there's a, there's a few things that sort of occurred to me at first. Um, I mean, there's one series that I really enjoyed when I sort of came back to comics, um, but I didn't, I haven't heard a lot about of it from my peers. I mean, it's obviously out there, but um, Joe Hill's Lock and Key, the sort of the family saga, if you like, of um, the the Lock family and everything that goes on with them. Um, I really enjoyed that. Again. I um, managed to, I think it was a Kindle Unlimited kind of thing. You could read them all, you know, the collected volumes. But, um, yeah, I, I never seem to hear much about that. Obviously, it must be quite big because they made a Netflix series. But, um, yeah, I think that's one I would always recommend people to read. It's it's quite feel-good, you know. It's a family overcoming adversity, which is, you know, it's a nice nice feel-good sort of read. Um John Wagner, Alan Grant, and Don um, Dan Cornwell, they did a book called Rock of the Gods and Rock the God. I mean, they are two brilliantly written and illustrated comic books, and I think they really deserve uh, you know a bigger audience because yeah, they're definitely all ages. But again, they're not talking down to kids. You know, I can pick it up and read it and enjoy it. You know, my nephew, sort of, you know, seven, he could happily read it as well. So that's nice. another one I'd love to see a bigger audience. But I think for me, um, again, we're harking back a little bit, but um, there's a comic called Star Lord, and um, it was a really sort of short lived comic uh, from back in 1978. And they'd sort of seen, obviously, 2000 AD, the success of that and, you know, the science fiction explosion that followed um, the success of Star Wars. Mm. And they, um, you know, bought the Star Lord comic out and um, it was printed on sort of bigger and better quality paper and they had a lot more colour than 2000 AD. Um, uh, but basically, it, you know, it bought... From um, bought two 2000 AD 
um, characters like um, Strontium Dog and Robusters, because what happened was um, after about six months, I think it was a case of, um, I believe, production costs ramped up and because uh, obviously it was on this better paper and mm. um, they did the old hatch match and dispatch that they used to very much in those days and you know great news for all readers and um, they sort of blended it blended it in with 2000 AD so for you know for this sort of short period it was 2000 AD and Star-Lord um, but as I say, the good thing was it, it bought into the fold of 2000 AD, you know, two of its biggest fan favourites. So you got um, Johnny Alpha, the um, Strontium Dog, and then there was a story called um, Robusters, which then developed into the ABC Warriors. And, uh, you know, that, that they've gone on, gone on and they're still uh, in there now. Strontium Dog, I believe, is going to get another airing in the Christmas special this year, even though it's not particularly canon because it's not John Wagner and Carlos Esquera on the art. But, you know, we all enjoy a bit of Strontium, so I'll have a look at that. But, yeah, so I think just for that, for bringing those characters to 2000 AD, I think, yeah, Star-Lord would be my most underrated comic. And yeah, if, gosh, it sounds like it was quite a quite a time to be in sci-fi. Oh yeah, um, yeah. At this time, um, but also it's it's a complicated one because just looking at, at the wiki, yeah, for it, um, just the fact that it, it basically split the market <laughs> yes, <laughs> at yeah. one time, yeah, and uh, made things very difficult. I think um, it actually outsold two thousand AD at one point as well. Wow. <laughs> Incredible, yes, um, and yeah, no, but then obviously it was it was merged. Yes, um, yeah, yeah, and that was a that was a regular thing, and so they, they used to call it hatch match and dispatch, I believe. You know where they'd sort of get okay. one comic and sort of bring it in, but it was always heralded with the great news for readers. You know, and you, oh my god, is my mm. comic going to disappear? And um, in that case, we were lucky that you know 2000 AD was the one that um, stayed, and to, uh, the best of Star Lord sort of joined it, and it also brought back into the fold a lot more. Um, obviously, Carlos Esquera, you know, the legendary and much missed artist who you know brought Dread to life, and yeah. you know, he's obviously the most iconic Dreads. I think are Carlos's work, and definitely. Yeah, you know, Johnny Alpha. Yeah, so um, we, I think we're very thankful to Star Lord for that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, and it, it, it sometimes takes something like that that might be short lived. Yeah, but I suppose it raises people's games, gets yeah, get people to think about things, how to do things a bit differently. Definitely. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, no, I think there's a real benefit to to that sort of thing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it, it did us some favors. <laughs> yeah. No doubt. Uh, now uh, we come on to the most difficult question, yeah. and that is for you: what is the best comic of all time? Okay, so for me, and I will sort of preface this with you know it's a movable feast because I'm still on that sort of yeah. return journey to, to comics. But um, like I said, I'm a big fan of Garth Ennis's work. Um, yeah, you know, particularly his run on the Punisher Max is just you know perfect. That sort of mix of the sort of violence, the um, you know his knowledge of sort of warfare comes into it. Um, that it's it's just even yeah you know, the dark as I've mentioned a little earlier on you know the the dark humor, 
um, and the, of that one man seeking vengeance, you know, and you, you get there's a character comes into it called the Barracuda, who's you know as hard and almost unkillable as him, and you know th- there's a lot of humor in his character and what goes on there, but. I think the one that just wins it for me, really, is another Garth Ennis, and that's The Boys. Um, obviously, it's very much in favour at the minute. You know, it's it's had that mm. run on two seasons on Prime. Um, you know, great series have done there. But the the comic books themselves, again, I'm going to I'm going to say like an agent for Humble Bundle, but yeah, you know, they've been my salvation really to uh, get get back into comics. <laughs> And equally, you know, it's a bit of charity as well. You're giving money to charity when you buy from them, so that's good. But I, I managed to get the entire run of the boys, um, all the collected editions from them. And, um, you know, it's got all those sorts of elements. You know, you've got the the dark humour, the turn the page, and something, you know, atrocious or just downright funny is happening. Um, the violence part of it, you know, the, the grown-up part of it. Um, but I think, you know, at the heart, yeah, the, the boys themselves, it's because they are like a family, you know, they may be a very dysfunctional um, family, but um, they are a family working together nonetheless. And I think there's something about um, Billy Butcher, you know, the sort of the leader of the group and um, his bulldog as well. His name escapes me at the minute. That's bad. But, um, yeah, he's very much, you know, I saw him as a bit of a grown-up Dennis the the Menace and Nasher. You know, what what could have happened to Dennis if he'd grown up, you know, and um, turned into this sort of um, (laughs) superhero-hating killer, basically. (laughs) But, yeah, so it's got everything there for me. It's that sort of... um, yeah, you know, the the action, the violence, the humour, Garth Ennis's work. Yeah, so I would say that for me, as it stands, yeah, I'm going to go with that. It's not highbrow, I'm afraid, but yeah, I'll go with that. With the boys, <laughs> <laughs> not 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 in well, certainly I guess not highbrow in a sense, but it, I suppose it it deals with quite a quite a few interesting themes. Yeah. I think, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's that, you know, you can look at sort of, again, it's another British um, writer that's having a dig at the kind of the Marvel DC culture of superheroes, yeah. you know, because it, it's obvious that, you know, the um, the, boy, the, 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 the the Seven is kind of the Justice League, you know, and mm-hmm. Homelander, Superman, that kind of thing. So yeah. it's it's not very well disguised. And I believe... No, I, I think that's kind of intentional probably. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And I think it, it actually started life at um, DC and then or like, it was a spin-off, one of uh, DC's sort of spin-off um, publishing houses. And yeah. then obviously somebody in management perhaps read a copy and thought, you know, hang on, <laughs> they're having a dig here. And, um, and then Dynamite um, picked it up and carried on the series because they had no qualms about it at all, you know. Um, mm. But yeah, anything to do at DC, sure. Yeah, that's it. Uh, so yeah, I really enjoyed that, and I think for anybody of sort of my generation who's you know been brought up on action films of the eighties, that kind of thing, and perhaps you know perhaps haven't been brought up as much on superheroes as some. Yeah, oh, that's that's going to be mine. That's awesome. Um, and uh, if you'd only take one comic into the apocalypse, which would it be? 
So this, yeah, this is a difficult one. Um, so I was split between two, really. Um, again, one that, much to my shame, I missed the first time round was Watchmen. And again, you know, if you if you read anything about comics, Alan Moore Watchmen is coming up so often. So I thought, right, you know, I've got to get got to get hold of this. So I got on eBay, got myself a, a paper copy, and sat down started to read it and then just sat there and read all the way through it, you know, and um, this was pre-baby, as you might guess, <laughs> course, <laughs> when, yeah. when I had time and silence. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it was – it just blew me away. Um, yeah, the, the, the writing, the crafting of it, um, just of the story, Dave Gibbons' art, and, you know, you can't forget the sort of – the part that, you know, John Higgins' colouring plays in it as well. So mm-hmm. that was that was right up there, but I think um, the one I'd probably go for is um, Mouse, the uh, the book by Art Spiegelman. Um, obviously, it was written as you know Spiegelman interviewing his father about his experiences, um, both as like being a Jew um, and a Holocaust survivor, and mm-hmm. um, it's, it's sort of. It makes it very anthropomorphic. You know, they use um, mice represents Jewish people, Germans are cats, and the Poles are pigs. You know, and um, but it it definitely hits hard. Um, the power of the story is really you know never diminished from it. And even as somebody who's you know watched a lot of war documentaries and read stuff. I, I learned so much from this book, you know, and how the people were treated and the atrocities that were done to them and the families, you know. So I think, yeah, if I had to go take one out into the apocalypse with me, it's hopefully sort of take that and, you know, you'd, you'd hope it would help people remember um, yeah. what had gone before and, um, you know, hopefully never repeat that sort of mistake again, you know, and it's so accessible. It really is. I know when my daughter's of an age, I'd, I'd hope to sit down and, you know, give it her to read. I really would. That's awesome. And that's that's the benefit of something like this, is that it's something that can be handed out yeah. to be given as a, as a lesson. Yeah. Basically. And, you know, if, you, if you're going to have to restart society after yes. being in a, in a basement after a nuclear fallout, then that's a good place to start. Let's not do not Nazism again. Like just yeah, let's just not do that. Let's avoid that that little chapter, please. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Um, yeah. So uh, no, that's that's absolutely fantastic. And again, it's it's one of those legacy books that yeah. I need to read. Um, uh, yeah. So because I've again, it's it's appeared a few fair few times on the on the pod and. Right. Um, yeah, yeah I, I absolutely need to get myself a, a, a paper copy of that. Oh, um, yeah. I'm, I'm sure I can find one on, on eBay. Um, yeah, that's where I got mine from. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it's amazing because I'll tell you what, I, I, I picked up um, The New Frontier. Yep. Um, like the whole thing for a tenner. Oh, my God. On eBay. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know what? Um, I, I I did enjoy it, but yeah. I'll probably put it back on eBay for a tenner and yeah. pay it yeah. forward. Yeah, that's know. nice. Um, and just kind of, I think, trying to have it so that you know we're all swapping things, you know, and just passing around the money. 
Um, yeah. like if we if you keep it kind of at that price for something like the New Frontier, where it's like five hundred pages. Yeah, yeah, that's for a tenner. Awesome. Yeah. For sure, for sure, yeah. Like you say, pass it forward and um, somebody else get the benefit as well, for sure. Totally, that's fantastic. Uh, great, well, uh, alongside the complete uh, story of Mouse, uh, what weapon, tool or useful item would you like to take into the apocalypse as well? So, I think once, you know, perhaps the um, radiation's died down a little bit and you're going to end up with that sort of Mad, Mad Max kind of um, society, you imagine. So, you know... A, a V8 interceptor would be nice, but in reality, you know, with the way fuel is and that kind of thing, I think you'd be better off with a, you know, a nice little runaround car that's good on fuel consumption. So, you know, try and um, find a nice little Skoda City Go or something like that. Just to, it might not be as impressive or as scary as, you know, the, the hordes come down on you, but, you know, you'll be able to drive a lot further. <laughs> totally. Well, you could you could you could put a splash of black on it, and That's it, yeah. I don't know, put a skull on the front on the yeah, bonnet, just, and just butch it up a little bit. Yeah, Danny, put some spikes on it or something. Yeah. That's it. We'll have the last laugh because we'll have more fuel. So there you go. Precisely. You'll just keep going. Yeah. <laughs> like kind of fuel hungry V8. Yeah. They'll be, they'll be there in the leather chaps flapping in the wind while I'm off down into Cambridge. <laughs> Precisely. Well, Gary Hill, thank you so much for sharing your comics for the apocalypse. It's, it really has been an absolute pleasure. Oh, thank you, Sam. Thank you for having me on. It's been really good. I've enjoyed it. Fantastic. And uh, one more time for the listeners, where can they find you online? So I'd like say the 1977 to 2000 AD Facebook group, you can get on there and um, the 77 comic Facebook group. And my blog is Gazza Reads Comics and that's at Blogspot. Amazing. And again, those links from the show notes, folks, go check it out. Um, and uh, fingers crossed, Gary, uh, Comic Cons will get going again, perhaps yes. towards the end of next year, maybe they might be able yeah. to organize. I don't think it's going to happen in the first half of the year. No, I think you're right. Perhaps, perhaps towards the end of next year, perhaps one or two might that be able would to. That would be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah, definitely get back to that. Yeah, yeah, that would be fantastic. And um, yeah, I, I was actually booked into ICE um, oh, for this year. So yeah. I would have been there. But oh, so obviously, tickets as well. <laughs> yeah. it did. Oh, no, so our paths would have crossed there. Um, well, hopefully, hopefully the next time. Yeah, for um, sure. So, uh, yeah, no, it'd be a real pleasure to, to, to meet you face to face, mate. And you, mate. Thank you. Perfect. Thanks again, Gary. Cheers. Thanks, Sam. Bye-bye. Take care, mate. Bye. Thanks again to Gary for being on Comics for the Apocalypse. It was an absolute pleasure. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review for us on iTunes or whichever podcast service you use, as not only will it let me know that you liked it, but believe that it helps make other people aware of the show as well. If you'd like to check out Gary's work or follow him on social media, those links are in the show notes, along with all our own links to the various areas of the internet. Speaking of which, if you haven't already, be sure to visit Comic Scene's website at comicscene.org for comic news, the comic club, and other fun sequential art stuff. And finally... As long as the apocalypse doesn't come to pass in the next week, I'll see you next Monday. Bye for now.